Listener Production. It was about survival, you know. It was about what I had at my own beck and call. And my kinship model, my family and my connections were really broken down. Personally, I'm a product of trauma myself. So when I was young, it was about I didn't tell anyone because I didn't think anybody else was experiencing what I was experiencing. Mm. I use what happened to me and I became a perpetrator, you know, because I use that as an excuse to inflict pain on somebody else because that's the only place I ever had a control. I only told what I wanted people to hear. And the reason why I did that is because I was still in survival mode and I was still protecting my stories. And I did, as a child, talk to the authorities and and all that sort of stuff, only for the authorities to come back and interview me in front of all my perpetrators. Trauma, it's evolved into a different shape to when I was Mm. young. The impact of colonisation um, and we talk about intergenerational pain, grief and loss and trauma. That's been passed on to us. I really believe that. You know, I didn't know what that meant back then, but I do now. We've evolved, but it's still not safe for all of our young people to tell our stories. Behind the statistics and headlines of Australia's youth crime crisis are young people that Auntie Elsie Randall sees a little of herself in. Auntie Elsie knows, better than most, just how dire the circumstances that lead young people to use violence can be. A truth especially poignant for Indigenous children, part of a century-long cycle of disempowerment. Auntie Elsie has become a shepherd for other young Indigenous people, leading them towards a life where their stories and their futures matter. What we know is that when young people use and experience violence, they've often had an experience of trauma. And what we know from the evidence is that trauma can affect our ability to name our emotions, narrate our experience and navigate those complex circumstances and relationships that often contextualise the use and experience of violence. We are just so focused on ignoring the problem that it's been left to kind of build and build and build. Associate Professor Dr Tamara Blakemore and Program Manager Louise Rack are asking the question we often forget. What's happened in a young person's life that's led them to use violence? And how can service providers be better equipped to provide meaningful support? It's these questions that underpin the Name Narrate Navigate program. Name Narrate Navigate, or Triple N, does what a lot of traditional programs don't. It puts the stories and experiences of young people first. 
using groundbreaking psychoeducational approaches that are culturally appropriate and supported by the neuroscience of trauma. I think when you actually ask a young person about themselves and and you place that young person as the narrator and as the expert in their own experience, their wisdom drives the work. Their wisdom and their words need to drive how we respond in ways that really place them and what they need at the centre of the work. Our young people are much more sophisticated than we ever were because they've evolved, you know, they're so much smarter and I believe once we get trauma out of the way that our younger generations can create some really rock-solid outcomes for the next generation and it just needs to keep building. Hi, I'm Shani Wellington, I'm a Wandy Wandyan and Geringer woman and I'm from the University of Newcastle. This is The Minds Changing Lives. Day one, you, you see this, like they've got all this suit of armour and they're like, look at me, I'm so strong and I'm, don't effing mess with me. Mm. You know, you see that because that's their protector. I know that's what that survival. looks like. I wore that armour. Auntie Elsie is the Triple N Program's Aboriginal Practice Lead. Over the program's eight-week course, Elsie and other Aboriginal practitioners help the Indigenous women of the program rediscover their connection to culture and country. And this is important, because to understand what the Triple N program is about, you have to understand the synergies between trauma-informed care and Aboriginal ways of knowing and doing. Triple N's project manager, Louise Rack, says these principles have been integral to the program's architecture from day one. If we have a group of young Aboriginal women, we won't facilitate it without an Aboriginal facilitator. So that means I've been absolutely fortunate to work with Elsie and another one of our great practitioners, Flick. Because of the national shame that is the over-representation of young Aboriginal or Aboriginal people in the justice system, we see the same thing in our work. So with the young women, 80% of our young women who have come through the program identify as Aboriginal. What I see in the work with Elsie is the way the young women connect in with Elsie from like the outset is Mm. absolutely pivotal to how we work. So I'm not Aboriginal, but the way they connect with me is different, right? So we establish this really lovely female relational space and it's amazing. The energy, the vibe, it's, it's awesome. And that's what you need to foster this sense of trust, stability and all of the stuff that young women need anyway growing up, but ones that have gone through trauma and neglect don't have and haven't experienced. So we've got a real obligation and duty to create that space with each other. And Elsie just does that by breathing, right? That's just so natural (laughs) for her. It is so natural. And the way that the girls, I'm thinking about some of our young ones who have just walked in, where's Auntie Elsie? Where is she? And like you have to kind of, like we, you've got to shift and turn all the time. Mm. But as soon as they're in Elsie's presence, you just see, like, you know, shoulders drop, they're relaxing and they just click. Look, I think they're searching for, this. they are without them even really knowing, they're searching for their, their kinship model. They're searching for their sense of belonging. Um, unfortunately for all these women that we've come in contact with is that they formed a replicated kinship model which is made up of their co-offenders. While fulfilling the important role of program manager for Triple N, Louise has also completed her PhD, examining the experiences of young women in the program. She describes her work as having been enriched by the experiences she shares alongside Auntie Elsie, 
delivering the program's group sessions to women on country in the Clarence Valley, just one of the sites where Triple N program is now delivered. Triple N trained practitioners deliver the program in and across the Hunter, Central Coast and Sydney, with one practitioner working in the Northern Territory. Women's voices, but particularly young women's voices in our spaces are are underrepresented. We don't hear them. We're not asking to hear them, particularly for young women's violence, because we're socially conditioned, right, to think that young women aren't violent or violence doesn't occur for women unless it's in self-defence, used in retaliation for violence perpetrated against women. And absolutely no doubt that is one form of violence mm. that young oh, that women use and experience but just leaving it at that invalidates the complexities and nuances of their stories mm. but if we look at the statistics in some parts of our space here in the hunter young women's use of violence is exceeding their young male counterparts so we're getting more and more violence in our young women um, or it's on parity in some areas. And in some spaces in New South Wales, young men's use of violence is dropping where young women's use of violence is increasing. So wherever we're not talking about it and focusing on it, it does an injustice to everyone that's experienced the violence in that space. In all my years of experience, the input and the outcomes and the, all the outputs that we're getting, not just from the participants, the community, and even just from the, the practitioners, there's no comparison By the end of it, it's actually that one person and then they've got the little sergeant in arms to regulate the whole group with free respect, Mm. you know, and and to see them and when they come to doing their postcard, I remember one postcard and, and she wrote, shame stops me because of my offending and shame, shame stops me from finishing school. Shame will stop me, will stop me from getting a job. We had really similar stories from the young men that we worked with who were incarcerated. One of the young men wrote on his postcard, shame stops me from believing that family will change. This is Associate Professor Dr Tamara Blakemore. The postcard activity herself and Elsie are referring to here is one of the many specifically designed by the team of practitioner researchers and stakeholder consortium members for the Triple N program. Each week we ask the young people to tell us something that we haven't thought to ask about before or that we think they probably need to teach us. So in the week that we explore empathy, the postcard said, if you walked a day in my shoes, you would know. Or when we explore power and control, the postcard is what I know about being controlled is. So we collect these every week and they're anonymous and they're a way of young people either drawing, writing or having scribed their knowledge and their perspective about things that we really need to know about that we Mm. haven't before. We haven't Mm. asked the right Mm. questions Mm. before. Many of the activities in the Triple N program are rooted in dialectical behaviour therapy, which targets open communication, validation and empathy through skills-based learning. It's a type of cognitive behaviour therapy, so works on how we think that emphasises mindfulness. When Tamara and her team founded the program about five years ago, they knew an innovative approach would be needed to address the significant yet underserviced issue of youth violence. 
I became really interested in people and their stories, the ties that bind people and the ties that break. So story and connection and, and people's stories, I guess, is what really got me interested in working with people and working to change their stories or working to see their stories be different for them. And within that context, the term violence, well, what is that speaking to? So young people's use of violence, we can, and experience of violence, and it gets confusing because often youth violence is used to refer to both young people who use violence, but also young people who experience Experience. violence. Mm. On either end, we understand that as essentially harm. So harm that can be around the use of power, control, coercion and force, but it can also be threats, intimidation and harassment. It can be physical abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, emotional abuse abuse. It can reach the gamut of those behaviours that we might associate with adults, but also to things like property uh, property offences, like property damage. So it, it's around harm. On weeks one and eight of the program, the young people meet with the practitioners and facilitators with either a caseworker or a support person. Then it's six weeks of group work, meeting in groups of about four to six, for sessions ranging between 90 minutes and two hours. They explore the drivers of violence. So emotions, communication, empathy, power, shame and choice. Learning how to identify, analyse and appropriately respond using those activities we touched on earlier. So in Triplin, the young people are at the centre of our work and their stories are and their perspectives are at the centre of our understanding of their individual contexts. Those contexts are, are, are complicated, they're community bound, they're culturally bound and there isn't a one-size-fits-all kind of definition mm. of what drives experience or what drives outcomes. And I guess what we're wanting to appreciate is the value of stories and the values of strength in those stories in young people being able to craft new pathways and new stories for themselves. Mm. It sounds like you, you build a tool belt of, of sorts, like a toolkit of yeah. different ways to express yourself. So the program has an intentional scaffolding uh, of mindfulness that ra- intentionally raises and drops the heart rate and that's around giving people experiences of self-regulation but it's also using observation and description and depiction as means of also increasing what we call your wise mind. So your ability to hold um, your experience in your hand without a necessary uh, judgment or need to respond immediately and be able to appreciate things in a wider sense. So those tools that we use in terms of creativity, in terms of photo and photo voice and photo elicitation are a part of that, observing, describing, being in the moment. And tell us, you've mentioned photo voice. Tell us a little bit of a description of of what photo voice is. So photo voice is both uh, an intervention but also a research method. It's been used across the world and particularly with vulnerable populations. So in Triple N, photo voice typically looks like every week we will take an excursion with the young people we work with to take photos in their community, in their context of the theme that we're looking at. 
So if we were looking at um, the week that's focused on shame, it may be, show me what shame looks like here. And we walk with and alongside and co-create with the young people photos that depict what shame looks like to the individuals in the group. The following week we come back and we look at those photos and then we might collectively look at theme and story those photos. What's the story here? What's happening here? What's similar? What's different? What are the same things we saw? What are the different things we saw? What are the stories about shame? And those narrated stories are then collected on the back of those photos as a form of evidence in terms of what is the experience of young people in this place at this point in time. When we talk about sharing stories on storytelling, we do it in lots of different mediums. We do it in art and we still do that and, you know, we could trace that way back to many, many moons ago where telling who you are, where you come from, all the cultural values and belief systems and all those beautiful features of who we are, we can take that emotional content away, look at a piece and not worry about the other person or having another person in front of us assessing us, you know, um, or us seeing that they don't really get who we are because when you talk to a piece of canvas, there's no elements of judgment. It's all about you telling that story. So I reckon with photographs and things like that, that's what it does essentially. So it's about another form of mixed medium in terms of how we tell our stories in a more authentic Mm -hmm. way, but it's also about safety. What I also like about the groups is that it takes out the individual and telling our stories in isolation. It's about sharing. It's also about putting these women in a room together where they're not alone. Name, narrate, navigate relates to the fact that trauma can impact on our capacities to name emotions in ourselves and others. Narrate our experience and tell our stories and navigate the often complex circumstances in which violence, abuse and trauma occurs. The neuroscience of trauma explains that when we experience trauma, our ability to discern different emotions both in ourselves and other people can be impacted. When you can't tell how you're feeling and how other people are feeling, it can be difficult to have self-awareness and it can be difficult to self-regulate something you can't name. The dialectical behaviour therapy, the postcard activity, photo voice... They're all activities that allow participants to identify their emotions and therefore name them and then narrate their experience through that lens. Knowing how to narrate your experience is critical because that often tells us the why. Why young people have been driven to a place where they feel violence is the only option or right answer. For some young people, it's the only response they've experienced. For Indigenous young people, intergenerational trauma is a deeply entrenched issue, stemming from a history marked by colonisation, forced dispossession of land, cultural suppression and discrimination. Today, over one-third of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are descendants of the stolen generation survivors the unimaginable pain and grief of which is still felt today. 
And I think one of the gaps that we find is that um, people tell us quite often, oh, we're trauma-informed in our work. And then when we unpack that with them, there's an understanding of trauma that's quite siloed and not understanding the intersectionality of trauma and also not understanding that trauma doesn't fit neatly into a box. Trauma is many things at once for many people. A really hard thing to work with when there is, a, you know, a, a system and a structure in place that wants to put both practice and practitioners into neat boxes and to young people that they work with into those boxes as well because we know that life's not like that. Mm. And I think we initially started by designing an intervention but the longer that we have been working, the more our uh, appreciation has grown that the area of greatest need is in um, the practitioner training and development. We don't have undergraduate courses across Australia for in violence, abuse and trauma that are regularly and routinely taken by the sectors that are working with these most vulnerable um, young people. We also don't have them in the, I guess, in the non-tertiary sector. And I guess the sense is that we know that trauma affects so many people, but we're not meeting the learning needs of our new practitioners in ways that are responsive to culture. I guess those are two critical areas of expertise and mastery which support us to do no harm, which is, in my opinion, the most important function of a youth worker, understanding the types of trauma, its effects and responses, minimises the risk of us doing further harm, as does recognising and respecting the cultural identity of each young person to safely meet their needs. Hi, my name is Daniel Eben. I'm part of the Triple N um, project team at University of Newcastle. So, Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself and your area of expertise. I've been working in the human services field over the last 12 years, spending a majority of my career supporting young people. My area of expertise would be youth justice, specifically addressing the welfare needs of justice-involved young people. I spend a lot of time working alongside statutory agencies to ensure these young people have what they need when they need it, have their human rights upheld and are involved in decisions that affect their lives. Daniel was a service user himself when he was a young person and throughout that time developed a deep respect for the professionals that supported him. So when a friend suggested to do a youth work course, he said, why not? Youth work stands as one of the most vital, yet often undervalued industries, misunderstood by many. There are a lot of definitions that summarise it perfectly. But for me, it's about being in their corner above all else, Mm. challenging the systems and structures that oppress them, representing their voices and views when they feel silenced, and empowering them to exercise their rights. And, you know, in your experience, you talked about a few of those challenges that some of these young people have, you know, when, we, when it does come to acts of violence, what, what are some of those things that might lead to that for a young person? There are so many, and again, it depends on the young person and what, and what their experience is. I guess some of the common themes would be the inability to regulate their emotions, mm-hmm. not understanding um, their trauma triggers and responses, not feeling safe or heard. Sometimes it's a desire for belonging and community and loyalty to others, so protection of their loved ones, mm. and as a means for survival and to meet their basic needs. 
such as food, shelter and other resources that many of us have, but many young people don't. And I often talk to a lot of parents with teenage children who, who maybe cannot understand like why their child's friend acts in a certain way or engages mm. in activities that might be illegal or even just socially unacceptable. And it's disconcerting that there's this expectation that all young people should behave like their own children. But as I said previously, until a young person who has survived, you know, things that we can't even imagine shares their story with us, it's impossible to understand. They are doing their best and just because it looks different, it doesn't make it not enough. And what do traditional community programs um, targeted at youth perpetrated violence involve? I found a lot of them include lived experience and peer type intervention, which certainly has its place, don't get me wrong. But hearing from a public figure that has experienced adversity who is now extremely successful, Mm. for example, isn't participatory. It doesn't provide the space for young people to share their own story. It doesn't equip young people to make meaningful change. It shows young people what is possible, but doesn't give them the tools. Other common interventions, particularly in other states and territories, are those scared straight type approaches like boot camps, Mm. which are based on very outdated thinking. From a practice perspective, I believe young people progress from Name Narrate Navigate feeling heard and validated mm-hmm. with a sense of agency over their trauma responses and a deeper understanding of empathy and skills to communicate emotions in a more positive way. It's so refreshing and it really fills the cup knowing that there's a program out there that is really working with the young person. For organisations wanting to enhance trauma awareness and build practical strategies for staff working alongside trauma, the Triple N program offers training. It's flexible, fit for purpose and delivered by experts like Tamara and Louise. Building a training program for service providers means more young people in more places get the support and care that has the potential to change their lives forever. And incorporating Aboriginal ways of knowing and doing means the largest group of young people disproportionately impacted by systemic abuse and incarceration secures an equitable future for all our young people. When we look working in Aboriginal communities, it's the kinship model that we rely on to provide safety, to help us in our developmental journey, to mentor our master skills. And when I say master skills, I use this often in, in the triple N, is that I believe, because this has been passed down from my elders up on my country, is that we're all born into our kinship model and we all have an inherited obligation to make country and people work. Mm. And that cl- includes healing as well. So my, the centre of me, the centre of my core is about healing. And it's about me being a part of this journey to create, a, you know, a really strong, deep-rooted foundation of a legacy for the, the, the next generation. A lot of this work is about walking alongside people as opposed to being, I'm the export, expert, you're listening to me. If you just listen and learn, you'll be right and this mm. will change for you because mm-hmm. that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So when we share stories and aspects of our life with the young 
people that we're working with, in our case, the young women, you can start to see that they're making connections and deeper Mm. relations with us. Mm. We recently, we brought together four generations of Aboriginal women together for a three-day Triple N intensive to work with these young women, stayed overnight for a couple of nights. But it was really, I guess, emblematic of everything we were trying to do and everything that um, Elsie's talking about, the role. You just saw the role and the importance of knowing your kinship, knowing your knowing your country, knowing all of that stuff out in play. So working with young women from an, a rural setting like Yamba versus the Aboriginal women we worked down here, all beautiful, amazing young women, mm. but it's really different mm. yeah. because up there they know who, where they come, they know where they've come from, they know who they are, they know their connections. One of the things that they really, really took on board is that you can experience so many emotions at the same time. Getting them to understand the emotion and actually naming it was really, really powerful. Mm. It's just, it's an amazing project. Like it's, I'm 100%, 200%, 2000% in awe of the program and I endorse it, you know, because like I said, I've been in the sectors, I've been across many sectors and none have I ever seen so many different outcomes that are coming out. And I guess what I'm really proud about the Triple N and the way that it's been facilitated is that all the people involved in Triple N, we are, we're open to other people's contribution in relation to people's merit in, in how they feed in what will work, what doesn't work, you know. So when we talk in it through a cultural lens is that, yeah, there isn't one blanket approach. What will work here in Newcastle is different to even just the next suburb. We like to challenge traditional notions of success, right? So some people will say, well, how many people started and how many people finished? So we can talk about all those numbers. But what we prefer to talk about is the reduction in the use of violence, reduction in the use of ter- certain types of um, engagement in crime. Uh, we like to talk about the stories of the young people who go on who have been homeless for years but are now in stable housing. We like to talk about people who are like re-energised about education again or for the first time. What we're told from our youth justice colleagues, and they're the ones who refer into the program, is that this is the only program that they have been part of where young people are dressed and waiting to be picked up to come to group. Mm. So for some of our young people, this is the first thing they've ever completed, eight weeks with us. And then they're like, oh, awesome. What's next? What can I do? So when we're talking about that that importance and and, um, just acknowledging that type of success, that's something that we, we prefer to focus on. On a personal note, Tamara, how does it feel for you working in this space and knowing that what you're doing in this program is making an impact on real people's lives? It feels like we've got a long way to go, that we've really just dropped a pebble in a pond and we have a lot of work to do. So a tiny step, but an important step forward. And speaking of those steps, where is the program at now? What are your hopes for the future? And, you know, are we looking at being scaled to to a larger degree? What's the energy? So we have been funded by Westpac, which we were really grateful for their support. And we have been scaling the program through the provision of training to practitioners across rural, regional and remote Australia 
to be able to deliver triple N in their own practice sites and contexts. So that's a really important arm of the program. So we now have, I guess, four essential arms of triple N. There's the direct program for young people. There's the training program. There's also a, a program that develops tools and resources for practice and a research and evaluation arm. So we're busy, but we're always looking for and continuing to find the support to keep that important work going. There's much less support for working with young people who use violence as opposed to those who experience. And when we know the interconnected experience of those two things, it's a real shame that we're, you know, having to continually kind of advocate for that. And it sounds like, you know, you have your sights set on where to next and, you know, just a pebble in the creek, but what you're doing is so important. What's your big dream for the future? What do you hope that this can be if, if everything were to go right? Well, look, we're really hoping that it, it launches and establishes a new way of working, that it brings a respected point of merging the neuroscience of trauma with Aboriginal ways of knowing and doing, that that becomes a non-negotiable for work in this sector and that it starts to stimulate conversations around what the necessary training requirements should be for people who work with vulnerable young people who either use or experience trauma. I would like for more programs and services to actually listen to young people and treat them as experts in their own lives. So less assumptions about what young people want and need and instead harnessing the evidence available to us, hearing those voices of young people and using that feedback to inform the way we work. This is what Name, Narrate, Navigate does and why I'm so proud to be part of it. Any chance for a program that gives young people permission to tell their stories and to be heard and to navigate a new identity for themselves is vitally important. But it's most important when that opportunity hasn't been there and it becomes even more critical for the young people who have had their trauma criminalised where young people's experience of violence has led to their use of violence, and then entry into the criminal justice system. The only way to break the chain is to increase people's ability to be self-aware, to self-regulate, and to have those skills for connection. This is the Name Narrate Navigate program, and its unique approach to community youth justice could just be the catalyst that shapes the next generation of boundary-breaking leaders. This podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the University of Newcastle, hosted by me, Shani Wellington. Produced by Kelsey Menzies, executive producer is Todd Stevens, with audio production by Kelly Fulston. Listener.